0: I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. If you're a leader, I suspect you've read or are at least familiar with the Leadership Challenge. Well, today's guest is Jim Kuzis, the co-author with Barry Posner, of this award-winning and best-selling book. There are over 2.5 million copies of The Leadership Challenge in print, and Jim and Barry are currently working on their seventh edition, as he'll talk about. The Leadership Challenge has been named one of the 100 best business books of all time. And in addition to this book, Jim and Barry have co-authored over 30 other publications. Not only is Jim a highly regarded leadership scholar, The Wall Street Journal cited Jim as one of the 12 best executive educators in the U.S. And I could go on and on. During our conversation, Jim shares his leadership journey and talks about his connection with Barry and how they've modeled the way through their relationship. He also digs into his research a bit and shares a personal leadership insight. Check it out.
1: The first recollection i have of being inspired to be engaged in leadership and leadership development came when i was an eagle scout i served in john f kennedy's honor guard as an eagle scout at 15 i was invited and i was able to be in the inauguration of john f kennedy there he was with his wife and and uh, his family right above me a few feet as i stood on pennsylvania avenue and he I had earlier given that very inspirational speech, uh, the famous line, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And that memory, I can still feel the January chill in my body whenever I think about it. And I was inspired by Kennedy to do something of service, and I wanted to join the Peace Corps. So I went to university with the intention, when I graduated, spending the next two years In the Peace Corps, I was accepted, I went to Turkey, I taught school, and it was during that experience that I said to myself, well, rather than becoming an ambassador, which was what I had dreamed of at the time, joining the Foreign Service and going to some diplomatic corps, I said, I wanna teach. And I came back to the U.S. and I actually couldn't get a job in public school education because they didn't have a teaching credential, but I could get a job teaching adults. I got a job for the community program training institute where we did work serving the poor communities of the U.S. And I had a chance to fly around Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas and Louisiana and do some training and development. And that was my first introduction to adult education. And long story short, fast forward through. Uh, time in Texas and then Santa Clara, moving to Santa Clara County in California and at San Jose State University for a while, meeting the dean of the business school at Santa Clara. I ended up at Santa Clara University. And I remember unpacking my boxes, books and uh, office supplies and putting them in drawers and on shelves that in St. Joseph's Hall at Santa Clara, when there was a knock on my door and I turned around and there was this big tall guy in the Doorway, and he said, uh, "You're in my office." <laughs> Startled, and I said, "Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought this was my office." The dean told me this was my office, and he said he laughed. He said, "No, no, it is your office now, but it was my office." Welcome to Santa Clara. Oh,
0: that's great.
1: And that was Barry Posner. And Barry said uh, after that, if you need to meet any people on campus or kind of get a tour and find out where things are, you know, I'm glad to to help uh, take you to lunch and and faculty club and I took him up on this offer, and through that initial meeting and, and, and conversation we had over lunch uh, and walks around campus, we found out we had some common interests. He, had a, he also had a public administration background, working on his PhD. He went into org behavior, and I also found out that he was one of the best uh, teachers in the executive program. I was the director of executive education, and so one of the things that we did together, was to do a two-day program with Tom Peters. Tom did the first day on what would become his book, In Search of Excellence, shortly before it was launched. And then he came back again to work with me and Barry. And he again did a session on his new book. Barry and I were doing day two. Now, we didn't have a book and we didn't have the same kind of framework of attributes of excellent companies, but we did have some data around excellent managers that we had begun to gather. But because we didn't have the extensive kind of material that Tom had, we did what a lot of facilitators do, and that was involve the audience in building some content. (laughs) So we asked people in the audience to prepare for our one day by writing a story about their personal best leadership experience, which they did as an assignment. They came back and they met in small groups, and each individual in the small group told their stories, and they recorded their findings on uh, flip charts, and we lined the hall walls of Kenna Hall, Santa Clara University, with these flip charts, and we asked people to do a gallery walk. And they walked down the gallery, and they looked over these flip charts, and they and we, Barry and I, were seeing this for the first time, and we all kind of went, wow, this is really interesting. When people answer this same question individually and as a group, talk about their stories, they all come up with some very similar kinds of lessons learned. That was the first exposure to the what became the Five Practices of Exemplary Leadership. That was on February 16, 1983, and that was really the turning point where Barry and I began a serious investigation of the leadership challenge and the five practices that resulted from it, uh, the practices of model away, inspire a shared vision, challenge the process, enable others to act, and encourage the heart. and there was other research that we did, of course, to develop that model. We developed a leadership practices inventory began to assess people. So over these thirty-five plus years now that we've been working together, and we've collected over five thousand these personal best leadership stories. Over five million people have responded to the LPI. It's been we have data from seventy different countries. Nearly eight hundred research papers have been written by other people other than me and Barry on exemplary leadership using our framework and our leadership practices inventory. And of course, we over these years have continued to gather data and subjected some pretty rigorous reliability and validity testing in order to be able to say to people today, if you engage more frequently in the five practices of exemplary leadership, we know that you will be personally more engaged teams will be more engaged and the organization will be more profitable and productive so that's how we got started
0: when you set out in the early 80s to do this work jim did you have any idea it would become what it is today cuz you know not not only the 5000 personal bests that you've collected but you know i think about the thousands of personal bests that i've been privileged to collect as a facilitator the the impact and the scale of the leadership challenge is so broad. It's gl- it's global impact. Did you think setting out that that would happen?
1: I think every author hopes that their books will do well. Uh, so we had this hope, but no, we had no idea that f- four decades later, we'd st- still be doing research on this topic and people would still be engaged in workshops and other learning experiences, coaching Around using this model and framework, and we've asked people, Andrea, we're curious. What is it that uh, interests you? What is it that that draws you to this framework? We want to know ourselves, and I think there are two things that pop up most frequently, two or three. The first is it's evidence-based, so we know that collecting data and doing empirical research on this is important. We know that our customers want some evidence that. If they do these things, it's going to have positive outcomes. So, evidence based is one. The second is that it just is people say, you know, it's simple. No, we don't, they say, we we don't mean like it's simplistic, but it's easy to understand. You've got five practices, they make sense. They really resonate with my own experience out there in organizations, leading and managing and working on teams and trying to engage people more in the work that they do. So they make sense. It, it's it's easy to understand, and the third is it's practical. You know, because of the roles Barry and I have been in, I was president, a uh, uh, CEO, and chairman of a consulting firm. I served as uh, an, an, uh, an academic administrator at uh, two different universities. I have a leadership experience myself. Barry's been the dean of a business school. He's been uh, department chair multiple times. So so he's also served in leadership roles. And we know that, you know, it's one thing to write about these things and and do research on them and report data, but it's another thing to put them into practice. And so we want to be as practical as we can in the work that we do. So evidence-based, easy to understand and practical.
0: Yeah. One of the things you say in the book, Jim, is leadership is not about personality. It's about behavior. So essentially, it answers the question, if you want to be a better leader, what do you need to do, (laughs) regardless of personality? And as a leader myself, getting back to the practicality, there are so many times, even throughout the day, sometimes, regardless of the situation, regardless of the challenge, I can always ask myself questions around the five practices. What way am I modeling here? How am I inspiring a vision in this situation? Where do I need to push myself out of my comfort zone or challenge the process? And then how am I enabling, encouraging all the people around me? So very simple and practical. I, uh, I can attest to that. So you and you and Barry have worked together for a long time. I'd love to hear more about your partnership. What has driven your partnership as you've done this work?
1: It's Often been referred to by our spouses as our second marriage. <laughs> we, you know, we have our, our, our work partners, our work spouses. We, I just feel very blessed and grateful that, that in early in my career, I was able to find a, a partner with whom I could work. And w- what's wonderful about it, uh, Andrea, is that we have complementary strengths. So Barry has chosen to remain in academia. And of course in academia, you have to do research and you have to write these kinds of academic papers. And so Barry really enjoys doing that. He enjoys doing the research. And I really like the practical side. And I like to talk to people about how they can develop these skills and use these skills at work. And we've, we've both over time, uh, writing so much together, been able to blend those two together in a way that feels like one singular voice. And, and I think that part of that, early on, we realized, you know, we write about values. We write about people having to, to have some principles that guide them along their path. And we decided that we needed to do that for ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, what, what, what are the fundamental principles for which we stand that are integrated throughout our work? that inform our work, both the practical side and then the research and academic side. And the first one of those, so we came up, we we did that exercise ourselves. We asked people to do it in workshops. And so we did it for ourselves and we came up with seven. And the first one of those is collaboration. I remember one of the, probably the most memorable lessons I ever learned from one of the people we interviewed was Don Bennett during the first edition. And I asked Don what was the most important lesson he learned in climbing Mount Rainier, 14,410 feet on one leg and two poles. And he said, you can't do it alone. And so collaboration has been a very important part of our work. Uh, we share everything 50, 50. Essentially we work together in our writing and in the, in the training and the, and the work that we do in consulting and coaching as equal partners that's number 1 and it's it's infuses our work because we have learned that you can't do it alone <laughs> that that it, excellence and achieving excellence isn't an individual sport even if we write about a leader or leaders individually and what individually they can do one of the most important lessons that any leader can learn is to be humble and understand that you need a team of other people in order to get anything extraordinary done. The second value is credibility. We found very early on in our research that credibility is the foundation of leadership. And so we needed to practice what we preach. And so part of the importance of holding these leadership roles ourselves over the years is to demonstrate to other people that we don't just write about this, but we put it into practice. The third one of of our values is evidence, going back to why people like our work and feel it has credibility to them is because there's data to back it up. And so if we ever say anything that is a recommendation to somebody on something you can do to increase the frequency of these behaviors, we know that the probability is is going to have a positive outcome. You know, there's no guarantee in leadership that if you do something, it's going to work. It is all about probabilities. But you'll increase the probability that you'll be successful by a significant degree if you do these things. The fourth of those is what we call possibility thinking. You know, Andrea, I remember a time when Barry was off in New York with his family on a little vacation Right after the first edition of Leadership Challenge came out and he brought back a poster of a rainbow striped zebra and he gave it to me. He had one. I had one. And he gave it to me. And the phrase above the rainbow striped zebra was to be good is not enough when you dream of being great. And I just loved it. So I framed it. I hung it in my office at Santa Clara University. I took took it with me to all my other jobs sub, subsequent to that. And I hung it on the wall. And when people came in to talk with me, it was right behind me on the wall. And I would, I would be able to point to this sign or people would see it and they'd get the point that we don't settle for good. We dream of being great and we need to continuously challenge ourselves to improve whatever it is we do. And if you'll notice, the subtitle of the Leadership Challenge has always been the same throughout uh, all of these publications, six now six editions, we're talking about working on the seventh. And that is how to make extraordinary things happen in organizations. The fifth is what we call liberation. We believe that people have the innate capacity to lead. Uh, we know that uh, from our data, for example, that of people demonstrate some capacity to lead. And so it's our job to bring that out of them, to be able to help them to see that they too are leaders and can exercise these practices to a greater degree. Accessibility is our sixth value, meaning let's keep it simple. Let's make it understandable. Let's make it practical for people. And the final one, and not necessarily final in any way, because it's last and least important, but because because it just happens to be the one we like to talk about. At the end of every leadership challenge edition is love. Leadership is not an affair of the head. It's an affair of the heart. So those drive our work and they came out of applying our work to ourselves.
0: So good. Well, so you are modeling the way in your partnership. We are. Through shared values. Yeah. I'm just, I'm still feeling the effects of leadership is not an affair of the head. It's an affair of the heart. Isn't that true? Connection, relationship. Thank you for sharing those values. That's really insightful. It's always good to understand the authors behind a book and how they work together, particularly since you've been working together for so long. I'm curious when tensions arise, when there's conflict, undoubtedly there is because it's a partnership like any other. How do your values play
1: out? Well, I can tell you that there are, whenever you're working together for any length of time or in any kind of close relationship, there's always disagreements. There's always potentially some tension. It might be around failure to meet a deadline or a deadlines approaching and the other person's completed their work and you know I haven't for Barry's done his and I haven't for example or vice versa or uh, we happen to agree on a, a, a disagree about a particular key message that and or how it's phrased. So we're always doing that and I guess we've been just fortunate to be able to sit down and talk each of these through. but we do have help. Uh, whenever there's, particularly in our writing, a disagreement over something, we have the luxury of having an editor to go to to help us. So we can always say to that editor, you know, we, we are not in sync on this particular chapter or this particular story or this particular example. Help us out here. And I think the, the lesson for anyone else is, you need a third party periodically to help you get through conflict, whether they're, whether it's a counselor, a coach, a therapist. You need a third party in your relationship, and uh, you know because we are so close, our spouses are always there to keep us in line. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> well, and it goes back to the collaboration, doesn't it? You can't do it alone. That's the same for partnerships. Bring in other people to help.
1: Absolutely.
0: So you talked about the five practices a little while ago. Uh, so for each of the five practices, there are two commitments, and there are six behaviors. So the entire model includes 30 observable behaviors. So again, answering the question, I want to be a better leader, what do I do? A question I get as a facilitator, and now I've got the author to answer the question, <laughs> a question I get asked a lot, Jim, is, what's most important? If I had to focus on one of these behaviors, which one would it
1: be? Well, that the answer is it depends.
0: Of course. <laughs> and let me
1: explain. Let me explain. First of all, in our research we have found and the why we focus on behaviors and very specifically these 30 is that it's the most observable thing that a constituent, somebody who's looking at your behavior or impacted by your behavior experiences. While some people look at traits uh, or motivations, we look at behavior. And that's because that's something that we can, each of us can observe the other person's behavior and give feedback on. And we find that only about less than two-tenths of 1% of the effectiveness of a leader is Explained by age or gender or ethnicity or education or function or position or industry, size of the organization, tenure, nationality. All 10 of those combined account for only two tenths of 1% of the variance that explains why leaders are effective. And so it really is the behavior that we need to be focusing on. And that accounts depending on whose study you read between somewhere between 39 and 70%. Uh, We tend to look, think it accounts for a little bit less than that 70%, anywhere from 39 to 50. But we know that it is the most important variable to focus on, focusing on behavior. Why does it depend? Each individual leadership practices, inventory profile is different. Each one of us as leaders has something very specific to us that is both a strength and an area of improvement. Now, we can make some generalizations about what things seem to more frequently be areas for attention and development. For example, inspire a shared vision is the practice over time on which most people get feedback they are demonstrating this behavior less frequently. So if we had to make a generalization about developmental need, it's inspire a shared vision. But again, some people score very high on that, and that may not be where they need to start. Some people may need to start uh, on challenge the process, for example. Others maybe encourage the heart. So I say it depends because each individual leader has different developmental needs. But the other reason I say, uh, say that it depends is because every practice accounts for some percentage of the variance. If you took one out of the the leadership practices inventory, the five practices of exemplary leadership, and said there are only four, or we're only going to focus on one, you wouldn't explain as much of the as of why leaders are effective. So taking things away only decreases the possibility, and focusing only on one doesn't help as much as saying, you know, you need to focus on all of them. Let me use another analogy. Leadership is like a pentathlon. If you're going to compete in a pentathlon, you need to be able to compete in all five events. You can't say, oh, I'm not very good at javelin throwing, so I'm not going to do that one. Well, sorry, but if you're going to compete in it, you got to do it. You may not do it as well as the others, but you still got to be able to do it. Leadership is like that. You may not be the best at enable others to act, but at least you got to do it, and you If you're going to compete at the highest levels, if you're going to be in the leadership Olympics, you need to be able to do that better than all the other really good people doing that. So it means you have to elevate your skill level in all of these practices, not just in one of them.
0: Well, and they are the five practices of exemplary leadership. So yeah, if if I focus just on one practice area, odds are I'm not going to be exemplary. I may be good at that practice, but I'm not rounded out as a leader because there are key components missing. So all, all support and all are important. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. If you could go back, you've you've been at this now for quite some time through your partnership with with Barry and uh, and all the other work that you've done. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: I go back to Don Bennett's advice when you can't do it alone and i would just say remind i need to remind myself every day that i can't do it alone and that i need to seek out the help advice coaching and counseling of other people and the other thing is that the best leaders are the best learners every day i try to learn something new i make it a habit and i usually do it in the morning i say, i find it easier for me to to learn in the morning uh, so I try to do learn something new, read a paper or about something that is related, but not that I've read before, uh, listen to a podcast, watch a TED Talk video, try to do something to stay sharp, go, go practice a skill, practice a speech, do something that enables me to continuously learn. So the best leaders are the best learners, we have to be continuous learners and engage in learning and find ways to learn on a continuous basis.
0: Jim, thank you so much for sharing all of this insight. You've given us a glimpse into the story that got you to where you are today, the journey that you that you were on with Barry from the moment he was in the door. You're in my office! <laughs> Through working on your seventh edition of the Leadership Challenge. Yes. How exciting. And 30 publications you've worked on together. That's, that's so much good work. Thank you. Thank you for inspiring leadership, inspiring greatness, perseverance. This, um, this is such a dream for me to be able to talk to the author of a program that I've been delivering for many, many years and has been such a big part of making me who I am as a leader. So thank you, Jim Kuzis.
1: My pleasure Andrea. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be part of your podcast.
0: If the audience wants to connect with you, Jim, what's the best way to do that? I know you're on LinkedIn. Is that a good connection point?
1: The best way to contact me directly is to send me an email at uh, jim@kuzis.com. You can always also write to uh, leadershipchallenge.com and someone will forward that email to me too.
0: Yes. You're always so accessible and open and wanting to help others. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you very much, Andrea. It's a pleasure working with you and keep making extraordinary things happen.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.